All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob Podcast. I am going to be honest with you guys. I had a guest all lined up that kind of fell through, so I am going to go solo again today. Uh, and I got a really, really good pod on deck for you. But real quick before I set up what the podcast is going to be today, I got some really good stuff coming down the pike in the next week. I got Doug McDermott scheduled to be on the podcast next week. I got some pods lined up with Bo Robert Rude. Hopefully a wine pod will be one of the pods that we knock out coming soon. So I got, I'm got i working on a few other things. So again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Get ready to listen. As always, if I don't tell you thank you a million times, I need to. I really, really appreciate you guys supporting and listening to the podcast. So on the pod today, you know, uh, the, the dust is still settling from the USC and UCLA move to the Big Ten Conference, and everyone is just everyone's wondering what is going to happen next. So for me, I think there are kind of two ways to look at things right now. There's kind of the, the micro and the macro. There's the short term of what's going to happen like right now, and then the long term of w- what is going to happen with everything with realignment and, and college athletics. And, you know, the reality is – there are a bunch, there are a ton of looming, enormous, burning, massive, big questions hanging over the future of college sports. I don't think it's hyperbole when people in the media and, and whether it's writers, sports talk radio, other podcast hosts, you know, they really talk about, you know, college sports as, as we n- knew it or know it is going to go away eventually. At least, you know, we're already seeing it. It's slowly happening before our eyes, right? I mean, NIL, transfer portal, conference realignment, all these different things are really, really altering the sport. So I, I, I got out my computer and I just started typing. And I arrived at 15. 15 big burning questions surrounding the future of college sports. There's a ton to digest with this, so let's get into it. The 15 biggest questions with the future of college sports. Now, this isn't necessarily an order, but the way I kind of wrote some of them down, they kind of lead into each other as well. But this is in no particular order, but there is some rhyme or reason to the order of them. Uh, question number one, will the two super conference thing actually happen? It, again, it's been the big hypothetical scenario and 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 situation a lot of people have thrown out for years now where could we see the day where there are basically two super conferences? And that to me, this is the easy big question to throw out first because in a lot of ways, it is the question. Because if if this two conference thing actually happens, the domino effect of that is dramatic, and in all reality, shapes quite a bit in all of college sports. So the question is, will it actually happen? Will it be, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten? And each of those individual conferences has anywhere from 16 to 20 to 22, maybe 24 schools in it. And that's it. And this is the new big-time, really, college football, but this is really the new iteration of college sports. Two mega conferences. Again, we've all been hypothetically predicting this and saying this for years, but will it actually happen? I think yes. I think over the last 12 months, the moves of Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 and going to the SEC 
and now the the news of UCLA and USC leaving the Pac-12 and going to the Big Ten, I think those moves make the two super conference thing likely an inevitability. Those are such enormous chess pieces to move that the ramifications of the entire chessboard has to be altered. Because think about it. Those moves greatly alter two power conferences in the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and make the SEC and Big 10 dramatically more powerful and more rich. So it does feel like the two super conference thing, I'd lean towards, gun to my head right now, yes or no, I'd lean towards yes. We'll see what teams get invited and which teams don't. But arguably the biggest question surrounding the future of college sports to me is this question. Everything else kind of like falls into place in terms of all the the doomsday scenarios, maybe things go on as normal. Like everything, everything is shaped by this, in my opinion. Will there be in, you know, 5, 10, 12 years from now, two super conferences with about 20 members in each conference? Will it be SEC, Big Ten, that's college sports, major college sports, major college football? To me, any sort of question about the future of college sports has to begin right there. Just an enormous question. Question number two. Okay, will there be a third conference that somehow survives this? Somehow, some way, when when all these different movements take place, could there be a way where a third conference still has a pulse and still is involved in the major makeup of college athletics, whether it's the ACC, the Pac-12, the the Big 12, who survives and how, and do they? Like I said, the moves from Texas and Oklahoma and USC and UCLA really hurt the Big 12 and Pac-12. You know, the Big 12, after the moves from Texas and Oklahoma, they've responded with adding Cincinnati, Houston, Central Florida, and BYU not bad additions at all, but not great. Like, I definitely don't think those I, I don't think those additions assure the Big 12's survival. Right? I don't think that's a hot take at all. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. Every single Big 12 school would die to get an invitation to get into the Big Ten or the SEC right now. That should tell you about the actual strength of the conference right now. Really think about that. Every single school, if their phone rang and on the caller ID it said Kevin Warren, Big Ten. Oh, oh, uh, uh, hello? Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Warren, yes. Would I like to go? Yes, 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 I would. Yes, 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 yes. So that's just, that's the truth. Every single school would die to get a call from the Big Ten or the SEC. So where does this leave the Big 12? I'm not, I'm not trying to poo-poo this. I mean, it's, a, it's still a legitimate league, right? So obviously the same questions loom with the Pac-12. In some ways, I think, you, and this is kind of crazy to say, but if you really think about it, I think it's true. In some ways, the Pac-12 losing UCLA and USC is a 
bigger hit to the Pac-12 conference than the than Oklahoma and Texas leaving is to the Big 12. Because the loss of USC and UCLA means you lose Los Angeles. And without LA, the Pac-12 just seems it seems to kind of collapse on itself. The Pac-12 television draw is really hurt. Recruiting in LA gets to be challenging. So the Pac-12 is in shambles right now. I mean, Los Angeles is one of the biggest television markets in the world. And now you've you've effective that's why the Big Ten wanted them. I mean, think about basically every there are now Los Angeles is far from a college town, but there are a lot of USC alums that really love USC football. There's a lot of U at UCLA people in Los Angeles. Now every the the lion's share of those people are going to have to get the Big Ten Network. That's a lot of people and a lot of money. And and the obviously the opposite is true. Now all those people you you lose a major market for the Pac-12 and they're renegotiating their television deal. So the Pac-12 is in shambles. It was probably the worst run conference with the tenure of Larry Scott as commissioner. Just seemingly made a lot of bad decisions. The Pac-12 network had, has just been shaky. And all the decisions and moves haven't yielded great results financially. Even with USC and UCLA, the discrepancy in TV money from the Big Ten and the SEC compared to the Pac-12 is dramatic. Like $30, $40, 50000000 million difference dramatic. So right now, there is this feeling, there is this feeling like the Pac-12 is a sinking ship and all the members are looking at any life preserver to jump onto right now. I think in the moment, right now, the Big 12 either poaching some Pac-12 schools feels like the move that's probably going to happen. To me, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah heading to the Big 12 kind of just, it kind of makes sense. Colorado is obviously a former member. Utah being with BYU. You got like Arizona and Arizona State, like they kind of, you, they kind of feel like a Big 12, Big 12 schools. That I could see that happening. Or maybe both conferences, the Pac-12 and the Big 12, look at each other as kind of bruised and battered and abused conferences that have been picked on and beat up by the Big Ten and the and the SEC, and and they look at each other and go, "We are better together than we are apart," and they fully lean on each other and they fully merge together, and maybe that gives them the best chance to survive with this thing. You know, maybe in some ways I've been thinking like. If you're the Pac-12 and the Big 12, if you're sitting there going, if you believe in this two-super conference thing, you, you sit there and go, okay, the Big Ten's going to have a 20-team league. The, Pac- the SEC is going to have a 20-team league. Why can't we band together and have and have our super conference? Now, I don't know what that really gets you, but it's something. Who Who knows? One of the big wild cards in all of this could be Phil Knight. Nike owner, billionaire, Oregon graduate, big booster for the Ducks. Estimated net worth is $54 billion. What is he willing to, what is he willing to do to assure Oregon is at the big boy table? I feel like I have a hard time seeing Phil Knight, who's 84 years old, by the way. 
I feel like I have a hard time seeing Phil Knight just sit back and watch Oregon, and even Stanford for that matter. He's also a Stanford booster. I, I have a hard time seeing Phil Knight just sitting back and watching Oregon get left behind and left out. Now, Nick, what are you saying? I don't really know what I'm saying. I just know typically billionaires, when they really want something, they usually get it. And this isn't just like a guy that is his net worth is $1 billion. I mean, again, you're talking about major, major net worth. Nike, one of the biggest brands in the world. What is, what is he willing to do? Definitely worth monitoring. I don't know what to make of the ACC. I mean, they have this television deal that runs through 2036, which kind of helps and hurts at the same time. It, it makes it so some schools feel stuck, which probably helps keep things together. But it's also not good because their te- television deal, once the Big Ten and the SEC ink their new TV deals, uh, is, is going to pale in comparison to, to what those two schools are garnering annually. In my opinion, it kind of feels like the top schools in the SEC – are just are just sitting there like a lion, like the SEC's sitting there. They're they're in the plains of Africa like a lion just stalking a gazelle, and the gazelle is the ACC, the top teams in the ACC. Just feels like the ACC is ripe for the taking for the SEC. Clemson, Florida State, Miami, those schools are in the geographical footprint of the conference. They're good football programs. They're good draws on television. They feel like SEC schools in some ways. So my guess is eventually the top ACC schools get poached and then the ACC will find themselves in the same situation that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 is in right now. So I'm not sure which conference I feel like I would give the best odds of surviving is or if any of them are going to survive. And by survive, I mean like thrive and be at the same table as the Big Ten and the SEC once all the, the realignment and everything is all done. So we'll see. I think one of the big questions is, does somehow another conference survive? The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by my good friends at Runza. You know, a few things make me more proud than the fact that Runza supports my podcast because as a Nebraskan, I've been a Runza fan my entire life. I lived down the street from a Runza growing up. was a blast to go there as a kid. Sometimes I'd even ride my bike there with my buddies. I vividly remember one of our very first elementary school field trips was to Runza. Everyone loved it. I remember going to Runza in high school for lunches with all my high school friends. And I've told you guys this, one of the happiest days at Kansas my freshman year was discovering a Runza In Lawrence, Kansas, it was like finding a little slice of home when I was away from home. And now as an adult, it's great to share Runza with my kiddos who absolutely love the deliciousness of Runza. It's a little Runza story from yours truly. And you know what the menu is. Just outstanding, amazing Runza sandwiches. Oh my gosh, a piping hot cheese Runza? Mmm, that sounds good right now. Incredible burgers. The best fries on the planet. The salads are great, especially the Southwest chicken salad, my personal favorite. It's just awesome food. So whether it's lunch, dinner, a little snack, doesn't matter. Runza is the spot. You need to go download the mobile app. It's in the app store. You can order ahead, skip the line, plus you can earn rewards as well. Runza makes it all better. Next question big part of this this the previous question question number three what will Notre Dame do 
Notre Dame, independent for, for football. They're in the ACC for basketball, but independent for football. They're not currently in a, in a conference for football. They're a huge football brand and power. They already have a great television deal with NBC. Notre Dame is without question the most coveted program to acquire for both the Big Ten and the SEC. In a lot of ways, they're the only one that that really you you could argue that they're the they're you know the Big Ten if they could get Notre Dame, I think they sometimes go. You know, I mean, I think you could argue, see the Big Ten be like, we're done. We got Notre Dame. We're done. But who knows? There are reports that right now in the moment that the Big Ten has its set site on, its site set on on Notre Dame and is and isn't planning on taking anyone else current right now other than Notre Dame, which is telling in, in how important Notre Dame is. Bottom line is, and I, I think I'm comfortable in saying this. I mean, I, I, again, I'm just going off of reports and different things. Like, if if Notre Dame called the SEC or the Big Ten and said, hey, it's Notre Dame, I want in. I want to be in your conference. Both conferences would take all of two seconds to say yes. Which, I mean, that's telling. Notre Dame's decision could be super impactful. They feel like a fit for the Big Ten to me. Like, Clemson feels like an SEC school, even though they're in the ACC. And Notre Dame, even though they're independent, kind of feels like a Big Ten school to me. In Indiana, in South Bend, in the heartland. Like, just it feels like. So if I had to guess... That would be there where, to go, where where they would go to the Big Ten if they go anywhere. But the SEC could throw a monster num- number at them money wise too. Also, I, I mean, the, they also could join the ACC in football, which would shake everything up. That's something I haven't heard a lot of people throw out there. What if what if Notre Dame again already already in bed with the ACC for hoops? What if Notre Dame joins the ACC? Now now everything changes. All of a sudden you feel like, oh, the ACC is surviving, you would think. Or, of course, you would would assume that ESPN would redo their contract and it would be a big time. But, obviously, Notre Dame could stay independent. But I I don't know. I say that, but I really doubt that. I think think there there is an eventually... Whatever the new form of big-time college football looks like, I think whoever is in charge, let's say it's the SEC and the Big Ten, like I think eventually they're going to look at Notre Dame and say, listen, like you're, you either join one of us or we're moving on without you. Your choice. But nevertheless, because again, the big thing is the, is the, the postseason college football playoff structure and if they ever create a scenario where they they would shut Notre Dame out, I mean, again, big big move there, big swing. But that'll make Notre Dame go, ooh, okay, wait, 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 wait about this. So I think eventually one of those two two they're they're going to go to Notre Dame and say like you you you're joining one of us, or moving on. But nevertheless, what Notre Dame does is extremely important. Question number four. Big burning, looming questions for the future of college sports. Will football ever fully actually break away from the NCAA? 
right? That's that's always been a part of this big hypothetical scenario of the two super conferences. The the next part of the sentence or the next sentence, and when people say that, it's like there's going to be two super conferences, and they're going to break away from the NCAA. Is that actually going to happen? Because at the end of the day, that's one of those things people throw out there. Like, yep, they're going to break away and just they're going to be done with the NCAA. They're going to the NCAA is going to they're going to be done. Well, you have to have some sort of governing body, right? You got to have some sort of centralized leadership, right? Who is doing that? Without cutthroat, this has been talking about realignment and the and, and everything that goes into survival and the future of college athletics right now. Without cutthroat, all that has been it would be it'll be real interesting to see how these remaining conferences in, again entertaining this hypothetical. These remaining conferences can agree upon leadership. Maybe it's a commissioner. Maybe it's just one person. It's a czar. Maybe it's a committee. But again, who's comprising? Who's comprised of that committee? Like, who is in the committee? Is it always a balance of representatives of each conference? And then within all that, if you break away from the NCAA, what are the rules of your new league? Which leads me to my next question, question number five. Will an education and school and going to class always be a part of all of this? And I know that sounds weird to say and ask because at the end of the day, we're talking about college football or college basketball. But when these television rights for these conferences are going for a billion dollars and players, because of NIL, could be making high six figures, some a million dollars themselves. It'll just be interesting to see how prevalent an education and going to class and school all continues to be. Keep in mind, the NCAA were the ones who enforced the academic stuff. If there is a breaking away from the NCAA and there is a two, the, the, two super conference thing. Let's be real. That almost becomes a mini NFL at that point. And when they put this new league together and make the rules, how will they map out academics and who is enforcing that? Again, the compliance offices are pretty much guided by NCAA rules. If you break away from the NCAA, what are the rules and regulations of your new venture? I have no idea. I have no idea. To me, that's a pretty big looming question with all this thing. And again, I know that sounds weird to say. Like, what do you mean, school? Not pro- I you break away from the NCAA. Again, you're now you're making the choice. Like, okay, how are you? How are you handling academics, academic requirements, academic eligibility? Again, that was all the NCAA most of the time. Next question. Question six. 
Will conference members ever get kicked out of the conference? Like a like a uh, English Premier League, European soccer model of relegation type thing, or even just something as simple as where the SEC looks at Vanderbilt and says, "Hey, sorry, but you're out. Give me a break. You're out of here." Sorry, Vanderbilt. Like, come on. You're out. Or within that, what if Ohio State at some point, I don't know what this really kicking and screaming would really do, but like what if Ohio State at one point says, wait, why do why do why do why does Rutgers make the same amount of money as us? Like, well, hold on now. What at some point, what, what could could Alabama go? Wait a minute now. Why explain to me why the ch- the check to Vanderbilt is the same as the check to us? Those are valid questions. Now that's a part of like you know that, that's a part of being involved in a conference, right? But you just wonder if there could be an eventual changing in how that money is split. Where I know instead of splitting up everything equally, maybe there's a world where it's not equal. I don't know what that would really look like, how that revenue sharing plan would work. I doubt that this actually happens. But I just, you know, I've uh, there's been kind of the funny line you've seen from various people on Twitter, like all this conference realignment stuff, it doesn't get real until certain conference certain conferences start kicking teams out. And I know that, again, at this point, nothing would surprise me. But it's, it's an interesting thought. Question number seven. Again, this is all kind of like what's, what's hard about these questions is it all kind of hinges on this two super conference thing or just this conference realignment thing and the television money just creating such a massive discrepancy. That, so that's kind of like my guiding light with a lot of these questions. But question number seven is what happens to the FBS college football teams that are left out, the group of five football programs or even the, the current Power Five football programs that, that aren't in one of the big boy conferences anymore. Like the group of five football programs, Boise, Boise State, San Diego State, the MAC schools. What would happen to, what's going to happen to them if, let's say, this two super conference thing happens? Because you'd imagine a big part of the two super conference thing, like I would assume, now I guess I've never heard this said specifically but i would assume that if you're if if all of a sudden you're playing in a two it's a two super conference thing and maybe i'm wrong i would think the days of alabama playing ball state are over and the days of you know ohio state playing san diego state are over I would think a part of the television contract would be the inventory of all these games are, you know, you're you're playing all big boys. Now maybe I'm wrong, but it just would could be challenging, in that it seems like the vast majority of these Group of Five football programs' financial models, business models for survival, is predicated on buy games, meaning. You you write us a check for a million dollars. We will come to Baton Rouge and play LSU, lose by 42, take the million-dollar check, and now we've just made a million bucks. Now, to be fair, I've always felt like if that's your business model, it's a bad business model. But nevertheless, it's a big part of this for a lot of, 
a lot of college athletic departments. So what happens to group of five football programs? What happens to the current power five football programs that maybe get left out? Because not there's no way if once all the realignment dominoes fall and the dust settles and it feels like everything is secure and there's two conferences or maybe there's three conferences, like not everyone is getting in, right? Like Kansas State, Washington State, Oregon State, Iowa State, those types of schools feel like they could easily get left behind. Do they do the the current Power 5 football programs that get left out, do they join forces with those group of 5 schools and form a quote-unquote new division 2 for lack of a better term and hold their own season? Right? Like if if again entertaining the big hypothetical of the two super conference thing and that's major college football, would, you know, the MAC and the Mountain West and the American and the leftover power conference teams that didn't get an invite into the big boy stuff, would they form their own league? Try to go negotiate their, a television deal with them or for, for them and, and hold their own season? I don't know. But again, not every – there's – there's always been haves and have-nots, but this is going to be a new definition of haves and have-nots. Where, again, if this two-power conference thing happens, like that's major college football, and then there's a, then the door is shut. What, what happens to these football programs? Do they, do they fold? Do they still try to exist? And what does, what does their season and and all that look like? I don't know. Question number eight. Now, this, I should have maybe had this higher when I was talking about some of the, the, you know, conference survivals and different stuff like that. Like, because this is actually a huge one. What does the college football postseason format look like? Huge question. Huge question. Because in some ways, yeah, the two super conference thing shapes a, a big domino like this college football postseason structure. But in a lot of ways, however the postseason is structure could also shape who survives and how. Because if you're handing out auto bids, you know, and you grant an auto bid to a certain co- – like right now if they were to – and if I'm not mistaken, I thought Dan Wetzel wrote about this, that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the ACC were were offered an opportunity to basically like contractually commit to an, uh, an auto-bid thing moving forward, and they didn't do it. I mean, that, that in some ways assures them a, a major hurdle in trying to be involved in the postseason right now. Because if there's a two-super conference thing, You'd imagine the inclusion of anybody else might not exist. But what does the – okay, well, what does that look like? If it's a two-super conference thing, so the playoff is just is, – is it almost AFC versus NFC, for lack of a better term? Like the Big Ten has their playoffs and gets a representative and the SEC has theirs, or is it or is there like mingling between the two and then there's seeded between all those teams and there's maybe a 12-team playoff? But how many teams – what are the automatic bids looking like? What is the committee of who is selecting these teams? 
or is it just like you know the NFL where it's there isn't a committee it's just based on record and and you get slotted on certain things I don't know and then even with that like do bowl games survive will there even be bowl games 10 15 years from now will we still have the frosted flakes bowl Because a big part of those bowl games was the fact that you had, you know, 120 FBS schools all playing to get to bowl eligibility. So you had a lot of you had a lot of bowls and a lot of schools that could make these bowls. Now everything could get altered quite a bit. But what does the college football postseason look like? Enormously enormously important for the future of college athletics. Big question number nine, speaking of postseason, I've already talked about this a little bit in my in a, a my reaction pod to the USC-UCLA news, but what is the future hold for the NCAA tournament for men's basketball and even men's college basketball in general? Can college basketball exist and be, quote-unquote, the same if college football has the two super conference things. Like, will the tournament still exist in its current form? I personally have a hard time seeing that. If there are two super conferences and they're still they're gonna play basketball and they want to hold a tournament, their own version of an NCAA tournament. Oh boy. Now what's that format look like? Who's involved is it just the two conferences? Is there any sort of inclusion to people that aren't in those two conferences? Again, if they were to break away from the NCAA, but then all of a sudden the NCAA would award the men's basketball college championship and hold its postseason tournament for these people that broke away. Like I Again, it's hard to see these all these worlds existing and coming together. I've said that the NCAA tournament is one of the big elephants in the room with all this stuff because the NCAA tournament is 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 too big of an event to just cast aside and just go, well, collateral damage, it's done. That is done. Again, you're talking about a, a media rights deal, March Madness, NCAA tournament, CBS and Turner – going for a billion dollars and it, and it lasts for, it was a 10 year deal. And I think there's still might be six more years left on that deal. Eight of the top 10 most watched basketball games of the last year are NCAA tournament games. It is a massive event and a huge part of the event is the, is to me the 68 team bracket and Picking the upsets, a.k.a. tracking the little guy, the Cinderella stories. Again, if if the super – I'll tell you right now, I mean, I love I, – I would watch and all, you know, I because I, I love basketball, but like an NCAA tournament that just features two super conferences and it's that's it, like that's not as interesting to me. So what does the future of the NCAA tournament and college basketball look like? Mostly the NCAA tournament. 
Really, really interesting thing to to watch. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Big question number 10 for the future of college athletics. Name, image, and likeness. I know we've heard it a million times. Like, we're, we're, we're about... One year removed from NIL going into into effect, it happened July July first of twenty twenty one. It's now July of twenty twenty two, and I think we all have kind of realized that this thing has been more of a. It seeped into recruiting way quicker than I think everybody anticipated it would. I always felt like there was an inevitability of it seeping into recruiting, but again, I. It is it is the wild wild west out there. I know that's the cliche term people have been thrown, but it's it's appropriate. There are no rules. There are no regulations. I have a hard time. Now, I know Jay Billis would argue for the free market and just you let it kind of go and it'll work itself out. That's tough to do. That is tough to do. I've always said the one thing that almost every single major sports league has is some sort of competitive balance in its structure of how you can build a roster where you have salary caps, you have various rules on how you sign guys, how many guys you can sign, slotted salaries like the NBA where you have the, you know, you have the vet minimum, the mid-level exception, what all those kinds of things. Your max guy, your rookie max extension, like you have all these rules. So for the most part, the way Oklahoma City builds its NBA team is the same way Sacramento has to build it's NBA team. That's just and same thing with the NFL. Like, and that's just the best way to assure yourselves, you know, competitive the the competitive balance and spirit of all this thing. So at some point, to me, NIL has to kind of get addressed by the people in charge of the sport. And again, it's it feels like a hard thing to cap, right? Like to cap what any college football player could make. But there's got to be some semblance of rules and regulations surrounding this thing. And again, if it just goes to two super conference things, like the NIL is going to get even crazier. Because again, the difference between the haves and the have-nots is going to get dramatic. So, what the what does the future of name, image, and likeness really look like in college football, major college football and major college basketball? I don't have the answer to that, but I think it's something that, to me, you can't just kind of throw your arms up and go, oh, you know, I mean, let's just, it'll work itself out. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Question number 11. 
and this is kind of a weird one, but how will all of this, all these changes, maybe these conference re-expansion, conference realignment, conference expansion, two super conferences, these major television deals, name, image, and likeness, all this stuff, like how will all of this potentially impact the NFL and the NBA? Because, and the reason I bring that up is the reality is the developmental leagues for the NFL and the NBA are college football and college basketball. The, I know there's a G League and all that stuff, and I know the USFL is is starting to kind of get off the ground a little bit and all that stuff. But don't get the minor the minor leagues for the NFL and the NBA are major college football and major college basketball. Both sports, NFL and the NBA, have basically gotten free D leagues, free minor leagues, where these. These programs and these universities, they develop players. These players build up their profiles and fame and then join their professional sports league. But keep in mind, with NIL, some of these players could make more money in college than in the pros. Like, on su- at some point, that's a thing, right? Like, also even scouting players is altered a bit because think about it the pool of draftable players what's that pool look like now if the doomsday scenario I don't know if doomsday is the right way to put it but like if there's just two mega conferences like if college football and college basketball become the two super conference things and it only features let's say 40 teams is that your main pool that you're evaluating think about it FBS football right now college football right now has around 120 schools we're talking about 40 total in the top league. What happens to the other 80 remaining teams and then all of those players that were, are on those teams? That's a lot of that's a lot of players. What's the competition like? What's their season like? What's the domino effect of the draftable players outside of those top 40 teams in the two conferences? Same school of thought for for college basketball. There are about 350 Division 1 college basketball programs. If the who's who is only in those 40 programs, what happens to the other 300-plus schools and then all of the players that were on those those teams? It just seems like they're, with all these changes, there there is a trickle-down effect, or really, I guess trickle-up because it's moving up a level, technically, in how it would impact the NFL and the NBA. Whether it's just raw pool of players we haven't even mentioned really like opportunity for some of these younger players that are coming up that would have had a scholarship to go play, you know, at Akron. I mean, what does that look like now? You know, do do you is there still a desire to go play college basketball at, you know, Evansville? If you're not included, who are you playing? What's your season look like? or you're not even included in the NCAA tournament. Again, I'm, I'm borrowing all these hypothetical bad parts of this thing. But again, it just I think all these things impact the pool of players, the draftable players, how they're getting evaluated. Wonder how this ultimately impacts the NFL and the NBA. Number 12, burning question. Obviously, this one I just, I mean, you could have put it at any time. The transfer portal. Another thing like name, image, and likeness. 
where all of a sudden we have seen there's been slow incremental change around transferring where there used to be hard and fast. You the Transferring was kind of taboo, and if you did transfer, you absolutely had to sit out. And then it slowly morphed into, oh, well, there's a waiver process, and depending on your reasons why you transferred, you might become eligible immediately and not have to sit out a year if you transfer, and you absolutely cannot transfer in conference. Now you can't. Like when I was playing, when I made the decision to transfer from Kansas and go somewhere else, like going to Nebraska. Let's say if I would, if if Nebraska would have wanted me to come, it wasn't even really an option because I would have immediately lost a year. Like now, all of a sudden, here we are, you know, about 15, 16, 17 years later, and everything's changed. And now you have the portal. And players can leave and be eligible immediately. Is the is the transfer portal here to stay? Will its overflowing of entries ever subside? Because it is sad when you see a lot of school, a lot of players go into the portal and they don't necessarily come out with a scholarship to somewhere else. But will there ever be some new rules put in regarding immediate eligibility? Because I've heard some people say. I think it might have been Gary Barta at Iowa, the athletic director. I think it was him that said this. That, you know, when people talk about how you put your arms around and calm down this crazy, the name, image, and likeness stuff, the way you calm the NIL thing down, one of the ways to do that is to change the transfer portal rules. Like, you need to rein back in. There's some people that think that if you rein the transfer portal back in, that'll rein some of the NIL stuff back in. But not, there's a lot of effects to the transfer portal. It's harder to build a program of continuity and development. It's, it, the, the transfer portal greatly impacts high school recruiting. Because, again, if you're, uh, you know, if you're the defensive backs coach, if you're Travis Fisher at Nebraska, do you want to recruit a defensive back out of high school or do you just want to get Tommy Hill from Arizona? Right? Like the, those things are going to make a difference. But will there ever be some more rules and regulations put into the transfer portal? And then just overall, does the transfer portal still have its, you know, where it's just overflowing with with people coming in and out of it? Very, very interesting to see. Question number 13. And you could argue that we're already at this point, but I think it could, I think it could amplify because of a bunch of different things. But Question number 13 is, will the patience for fans and athletic directors be even more thin with struggling coaches? Like if the two super conference thing happens and the amount of television revenue each program will bring in will just be absurdly amazing. Like reports are that that maybe this new Big Ten television deal could net each school close to $100 million a year. And... When you're when you're bringing in, you know you got that money coming in no matter what. Dealing with with paying a buyout to fire somebody becomes a whole lot easier to do. What's the buyout? Twelve million, Pfft, whatever, gone. It'll make all the money coming in will make it easier to fire coaches and deal with their buyouts. Plus, with the transfer portal, like I was just talking about. There's kind of been a saying going around. I've heard Ed Cooley say this. I've heard some other people bring this up, even in college football. I've heard from 
from college football coaches and college basketball coaches, they say, listen, we aren't building programs anymore. We're building teams. And what that means is you're basically having to build a roster. This is especially true in basketball, but, I mean, we've we've seen this happen in football and happen more often where essentially you kind of have to build out your a new roster each year. And what that does is you could see some people talk themselves into firing and moving on from coaches quicker because, in theory, it's easier to rebuild because of the transfer portal and NIL. Like, it used to kind of be, and this has been a lot of the 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 boogeyman for some people when they didn't want to fire Bill Callahan, didn't want to fire Bo Pelini, didn't want to fire Mike Riley, even you hear it now for Scott Frost, where some people say, Oh man, you fire you fire Riley, you are you are hitting restart and it's another three, four year process to get it going. Is that like I no, I think that's probably like the spirit and most of what that sentence is that I just said, I think most I mostly agree with that. But with with the transfer portal and NIL, you could you could build a pretty good team pretty quickly. You can kind of flip your team in, in one offseason. Again, it's hard to do, but it's way more doable now with this new college football world, college basketball world that we are in. So to me, the combination of these athletic departments being just flush with cash off the new television deals and the way you can flip rosters with Transfer Portal NIL, I wonder if that combination will impact patience for athletic directors towards head coaches. You could argue argue that 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 patience is way too thin already, but I you could see with new amounts of a you, you know your you know 80, 90, 100 million dollars is coming in next year. That check is coming. And you know you can go get, you can go scour the transfer portal and use some NIL combination and go land a really good new quarterback, a really new good pass rusher, and really new good. I mean, look at Nebraska. The transfer portal and NIL have likely given Scott Frost a fighting chance at having a good season next year where they were able to go get Casey Thompson, Chubba Purdy, O'Shawn Mathis, Anthony Grant, Trey Palmer, Devin Drew, like the list goes on and on. So, could be interesting to see how that ultimately impacts patience for these head coaches. Question number 14, got two more to go. I mean, obviously, what happens to these non-revenue sports? Where... You know, women's college, women's basketball, volleyball, baseball, soccer, track, softball. I mean, the vast majority of them don't make money, hence the term non-revenue sport. Now, I know a lot of them are t- protected by Title IX and all that, and but you just wonder what the future really looks like if that two-super conference thing happens. or whatever. Like, what does the future look like for some of these non-revenue-generating sports? It seems like we are in a world now more so than ever where you eat what you kill. You you whatever you can get that's what that's what it is. And if you can't make money, sorry. So 
I'll be curious to see what happens to some of the non-revenue sports and what their postseason structure, what their existence, all those things really look like. And then the 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 15th and final question. And listen, I honestly I I wrote down about 20 to 23 questions like but I trimmed it down here. The the 15th and final question is and I think it's an important one. Will the fans always be there? Will the audience always be there for major college football and major college basketball? Over the course of time, with all the changes and all that is altered with college football and college basketball that we grew up on, will people still love the new version, the new iteration that is major college football in 2032? Will people still love and flock to stadiums and flock to arenas and flock to television sets? the new version of college basketball in 2032 and college football in 2035. Heck, it could be sooner than that. I don't know. My guess is yes. But a lot of what people loved about college sports was the regionality of it, the conference affiliations and rivalries and and playing a school that was, you know, 50 miles down the road or a bordering state. You had history with them. A lot of people loved all those things, and a lot of those things are going away. And all of a sudden, it could morph into something that doesn't really look anything like it looked in 1983. Or 1995. Heck, even 2005. Will the audience and will the fans always be there? I always bring this up when I talk about these kinds of things. Never forget, you know, 60, 70 plus years ago, arguably the three most popular sports in the world were baseball, horse racing, and boxing. Now, because of all the changes and different things that have happened to all those all those sports, mainly boxing and Major League Baseball, like all of a sudden they've gotten bypassed by the NFL and the NBA and major college football and all of a sudden, UFC more popular than boxing. You know, you can imagine. Imagine in 1949, in 1958, in 1963, telling someone, you know, baseball is going to take a backseat to to NBA, NFL, college football. They'd be like, no way. Well. You know, there's gonna be a new there's gonna be a new combat sport called UFC Ultimate Fighting. It's gonna it's probably gonna replace boxing. What? I bring that up to say, like, you you never know. You you never know if the fans and the audience will always be there. 
And wouldn't it be funny? The ultimate irony would be all these changes being made because of TV. And then the TV audience isn't there as much. Wouldn't that be one of the most amazing little doses of irony you could have? All the main thing that is driving conference realignment and USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten and Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC and and even Nebraska going to the Big Ten and and Missouri going to the SEC and all this like it's it's all because of television revenue. It's all because of these. TV networks and the and the amount of money they're cutting to these people because of the audience that they're going to have to sell, right? Pretty simple. Wouldn't it be unbelievably ironic that if you make all these changes because of TV and then the TV audience takes a big step back? That would be the definition of irony. So again, my guess is, my guess is because it's such, you know, Alabama football is such a religion in the South and 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 Duke basketball is such a religion in Durham and Kansas basketball is such a religion in Lawrence, Kansas and and obviously Nebraska football is such a way of life here in Nebraska. That like it's hard to envision a world where it's still it's, you know, a Saturday in the fall those stadiums aren't packed and people aren't locked in. It is. I'll be honest. But you never you you chip away, you chip away, you chip away, and all of a sudden the version of of something you fell in love with is completely different. Which let's be honest with all with the transfer portal and the NIL, and if there's two mega super conferences, all this stuff, it's going to look and feel a lot different. Will the fans and the audience still be there for this new version of college sports? My, I, I would guess yes, but you just never know. And so you do hope in the midst of all these changes that the decision makers do somewhat take into consideration its fans. Because you never, you never want to take for granted your fan base. So we'll see. Again, I could have I could have gone on for five, ten more questions, but to me, those I'll, I'll stop there. Those are the fifteen biggest questions surrounding the future of college. A Huda Media Production.